Smoking and Drinking in Space is a proud member of the Earglue Media Network. John, I'm so sorry. I never meant to hurt you, John, and I did it, and I don't know why I did I wish I could take it all back. Heaven, you didn't do it. This affair of yours, whatever it is that you think you're supposed to have done, you didn't do it. I don't believe it ever happened. What do you mean? I know this is going to sound crazy, but what if we never knew each other before now? What if the first time we ever met was last night in your in our apartment and everything you remember and everything that I'm supposed to remember never really happened? Someone just wants us to think it did. But how can that be true? I so vividly remember meeting you. I remember falling in love with you. Welcome to Smoking and Drinking in Space. This is a sci-fi podcast from a couple guys who think they know sci-fi. This week, I'm joined by Josh. He's the host of a new podcast called Film Appraisers. Hi, Josh. How are you? Doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your new podcast? Yeah, so uh, our podcast is a film podcast, which is uh, one of many, many that have saturated the market. But what we have done with ours to make it a little different is that we break the film down into different categories. So we actually look at narrative uniqueness, uh, technique more in terms of like camera technique, not as much special effects, but editing styles and things like that. Uh, longevity. Uh, I think I'm, did I miss one there? Yeah, that's, that's the total. So we, we look at it, break it down. And then we, we assign the dollar value after we talk about the film for each of those categories. Okay. And then we get a, get a dollar value and total it up and just see how it stands. Oh, that sounds like an awesome concept. And I've actually listened to the first episode or, or most of the first episode, and it's, it's a terrific podcast. I'm really enjoying it. So uh, yeah, definitely you. check that out. Where can we find that? Yeah, you can find it at earglumedia.com slash TFA or earglumedia.com slash the film appraisers. Either way, it'll get you there. And it's probably out there on your favorite podcatcher. So go ahead and subscribe and listen to the first episode. It was out uh, this past Thursday. This week, uh, Josh is joining me to discuss the movie that never sees the light of day and makes cartographers weep, starring Jennifer Connelly, Rufus uh, Sewell, William Hurt, Kiefer Sutherland. It's 1998's Dark City. But first, uh, let's do some news. Josh, you got any news this week? Yeah, I actually do have some news. So I... I know you guys have talked about it a while back, but it it never ceases to amaze me uh, the cast members that they keep adding to Dennis uh, Villanueva's uh, remake for Dune. It's oh. just kind of unbelievable. Yeah, I know. Many... I'm so looking forward to the the remake of Dune. It's it's amazing the stacked cast that they're they're putting together. 
Yeah, no, totally. And I I actually am kind of a sucker for the for the previous version. I know me a lot too. of people don't like it, but it's kind of a guilty pleasure for me. Me too. I like David Lynch. I love mm-hmm. his his I love his movies. Um I really like his TV shows too. I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan, although this last yeah. season of Twin Peaks I'm kind of on the fence about. Um but yeah, I I really enjoy David Lynch's films. So the original Dune has a has a special place for me, um, but I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with this new Dune as well. Yeah, so they just they just announced uh, Cheng Chen, which is the guy from he, he's he's a lot of movies to his uh, a lot of credits for him, but uh, most people know him from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and he's going to play Doctor Yui, uh, the uh, the Trades family doctor. Right. So it's like him, and you know, of course, they got. All the others that everybody's starting to become familiar with, the Timothy Chalamet and Rebecca Ferguson and Oscar Isaac and Josh Brolin, it just goes on and on and yeah. on. So it's just add it to the list. So it's going to be, I'm, I'm getting a little nervous now because the expectations are really high. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to, I mean, man, if this movie doesn't make it, that's going to be just the biggest disappointment, I think, of, of probably the modern era because they've yeah. got the talent. I just hope they have the script and the director to do it. Yeah. Yeah, he's got he's got some street cred. Uh the list isn't that long, but he I mean he's got some good films. I mean despite the slow burn that was Blade Runner 2049, mm-hmm. uh he's got things like Arrival and stuff like that right. under his belt. So he's got the I think he has the talent just well now he literally has the talent with him. So we'll I don't know, we'll see what he does. <laughs> yeah. You have anything else? Uh, this week we got, uh, the trailer for season three of Stranger Things. I don't, are you a Stranger Things? I am. Uh, I am. In fact, uh, I'm waiting for season three to drop so I can renew my Netflix subscription oh, and yeah. watch it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> now that, that, it looks really interesting. I, I had heard from the, uh, from the show creators that this season's going to be a little bit more gory, I think, than the last ones. Oh, wow. But, uh. I don't know. There's some there's some cool stuff in the trailer. I'm I'm excited for that one as well. I've I've held off watching the trailer because I uh, I just I don't know that I want to I don't I don't know that I want that anticipation to build and me just pining for it until the summer. So I'm holding off as long as I can to to watch the trailer. But man, it's eating at me. I I just I really want to see it. Well, if you're a Stranger Things fan, uh, I I got a book for. I think it was either Christmas or my birthday, right right after the New Year. Um, I think it was called Stranger Things: World Turns Worlds Turned Upside Down. It's like a if you like the a little I don't there's not much art of, but it's a lot of behind the scenes. Uh huh. It's a really cool book. It's a good to- coffee table book. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. All right, what else you got? That's it. That's all the news I have. Okay. Well, I have a one other news item this week. So we are going to get the third installment of the Bill and Ted series. Yes. Um, yes, we are. It's going to have <laughs> both Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. Uh, it's called Bill and Ted 3 Face the Music. And it looks like it, they have it scheduled to come out August 21st of 2020. So they are serious about this. It's got a date. Um, they've got everybody signed on. Now I've been following some of Alex Winter's other stuff. He's got um, he's got a documentary that he's working on right now called uh, "Who the Fuck Is Frank Zappa," uh, <laughs> where he's taken all of Frank Zappa's or or all of the 
material that he can find, all the media that he can find of Frank Zappa's both uh, video and audio, uh, he's restoring all of that, and he's creating this mm-hmm. giant documentary based off of Frank Zappa's life. So um, I'm, I'm actually one of the Kickstarter uh, backers for that. Um, so he, he briefly kind of hinted toward Bill and Ted a while back. Um, but yeah, this is the, this is really the first, um, first confirmation that we've gotten that Bill and Ted three is, is going to happen. And it's, the wild it's, it's, stallions it's, reunite. Yes. And <laughs> it's funny. It's got a picture of, um, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves in front of the Hollywood Bowl, which they said they would never play in, in the movie. So, <laughs> uh, so that that's pretty funny. And we'll have all uh, links to all of those articles up on the uh, up on the show notes. So, we are ready for the pod crawl. Are you ready? I am very ready for the pod crawl. Yes. All right. Let's, let's do, this. do this. We call it. I don't know. Say a pod. Crawl the pod crawl pod crawl pod crawl pod crawl excellent insert it deep pod crawl kind of like a space suppository full of information. A man wakes up in a bathtub full of water with no memory of who he is or where he is at. After checking to make sure he still has all his organs, he receives a mysterious phone call that warns him he's a hunted man. He finds he's in a hotel room with a dead hooker who has been used as an arts and crafts project. Searching the wardrobe he finds a suitcase and a postcard for Shell Beach, a knife nearby and an increasing sense of dread that he's a crazed murderer. Running from the room, he's stopped by the desk clerk where he finds his name in the ledger as Jay Murdoch and that his rent is due. One mystery down, but another mystery pops up the case of the missing wallet. Murdoch is on the case. He tracks down a lead that his missing wallet is at an automat. On the way, Murdoch tries on Jay names like he's trying on suits until a street sweeper gives him the stink eye and he continues on his way. At the automat, the very male-looking cafeteria lady taunts Murdoch by locking up his wallet behind a food door. Murdoch discovers he has a mysterious mind power that smashes automat locks and he retrieves his wallet. One more mystery down, but a new mystery to solve. With his wallet in hand, Murdoch acts as guilty as possible walking by two dining police officers who interrupt their fast food lunch to question him. Murdoch, stumbling over every turn of phrase, is saved by a working girl who brings him to her place for some paid sexy times. Murdoch, remembering the other dead prostitute and wondering if he's a modern-day Jack the Ripper, flees the scene and heads to the address on his ID. There, John meets Emma, his wife who he doesn't remember, but who remembers him and had filed a missing person report earlier that day. Emma tells Murdoch that a doctor is looking for him and hands him Schrieber's card. Another mystery. Inspector Bumstead, who is investigating what seems to be Murdoch's creepy hobby and took the missing person report from Emma, was watching and waiting for Murdoch to come home. A chase ensues and Murdoch escapes with the help of his mysterious mind powers that create a door in a wall. Murdoch sets off to find Schrieber, but it's midnight which means it's siesta time in Dark City. Everyone comes to a gentle stop to what they are doing unless they are eating soup where they just face plant into the bowl, and the spawn of Nosferatu come out and play a noir version of both Sim City and The Sims. Murdoch finds Schrieber who tells him he's special and John responds by smacking him with his brain powers. Murdoch, at a dead end, inspects the postcard he found earlier and sees a name he quickly finds in a phone book. Murdoch heads to the listed address and discovers Uncle Carl. Another mystery solved. Uncle Carl tells him through the magic of PowerPoint that he grew up in Shell Beach, his parents died in a fire and Uncle Carl raised him in his weird fun house aquarium of horrors. Murdoch declares it all a lie when he discovers he doesn't have the childhood scars described by Uncle Carl and flees into the night. 
However, hot off his tenure as Dr. Frankenfurter's butler, Riff Raff and his gang find Murdoch and chase him to the street where Inspector Bumstead and Emma rescue him. Bumstead takes him back to the station and Murdoch convinces him to help him find Schrieber so they can all take a romantic boat ride to a brick wall with a giant poster of the Shell Beach billboard. Not accepting the dead end, Murdoch rips down the billboard and hammers away at the brick wall, determined to feel the sun on his face and smell the spray in the air. On the other side of the wall is nothing but space, literal space. The dark void expands out in front of them while the pale riders, led by their leader Riff Raff, show up behind. Gunfire and knife blades fly and Murdoch is captured along with Schrieber. They are taken down to the bowels of the city and it's revealed it's just a giant ship traveling in space and the aliens are trying to replicate the human soul to keep their race alive. Schrieber is an artist of sorts working in the medium of memories. They are going to inject Murdoch with their collective memories and live on through him, but Schrieber injects him with an alternate set instead that teaches him how to use his mind powers. With his new knowledge, Murdoch Dark Phoenixes the aliens and their patriarch into space, builds his Shell Beach summer home, turns the ship toward the sun and roll meeting Emma, who is now Anna, for the first time again credits. <laughs> yep, that's it. Yeah, so... Um, I really actually like this movie. I remember parts of it. I've, I haven't seen it probably since shortly after it came out mm-hmm. and um, it's been so long. I mean, 20 years that uh, it was actually kind of new to me. Uh, I didn't yeah. remember a whole lot of it um, and kind of what I, what I thought I had remembered, like when I was looking at this movie and about ready to watch it, I had a totally different idea of what it was going to be. I didn't think it was that great of a movie whenever I had first saw it, but I was I was absolutely wrong in that assumption because as I watched the movie more, I started remembering a little bit more of it and really remembered that I really liked it back whenever I first saw it. So yeah. um, I thought it was a really good movie. Well, they, when you look back at it now and you see how much acting talent was in it, it's kind of surprising. I mean, William Hurt's no pushover, and Jennifer right. Connelly obviously uh, has established herself very well, and and then well, and then Riff Raff, right. obviously Riff. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was annoying me because I was watching the movie and I saw his character. Um, it was Mister mm-hmm. Hand, I think, yeah. uh, was the name of his character, and I was like, man, he looks familiar. And so as I saw more and more of his character, I was like, he looks like a really tall Riff Raff. <laughs> and so I looked it up, and sure enough, it is the exact same actor that played Riff Raff. And this mm-hmm. was probably, you know, 20 years after he'd played Riff Raff. Oh, yeah. Um, and he looks just exactly the same, only taller. Of course, he was hunched over as Riff Raff. Right. Um, but, yeah, the, I mean, he looks exactly the same. It was it was uncanny. Yeah, I was – when I was putting the names down – uh, trying to just establish myself with all these actors in the film. He was one I couldn't remember who he was, but when you go on IMDb and you and you click on his profile, his picture is him as Riff yeah, Raff yeah. sitting in the chair. I was like, Nah, there we go. <laughs> there it that's, is. That's that's what I remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I thought I thought the story was was really good. It was a nice sci-fi twist on a dark noir tale. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm a sucker for noir films anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I love a really good noir film. Um, uh, any any real good like crime film I, I, I like. I liked L.A. Confidential, um, the Maltese Falcon. Um, yeah, all those, you know, really well-made mystery kind of crime films uh, really do it for me. So 
to to you know mix my peanut butter and chocolate, my sci-fi with my noir, and <laughs> have it done really well was was a real treat. So, are you familiar with the uh, with the video game? Well, I'm sure you probably are, but the video game um, on NES called Deja Vu. Do you remember that game? Vaguely, I don't think I ever played it, but I remember I remember seeing it. Yeah, so it was a game that me and my buddy used to play a long time ago. Uh, well, when it was out, but uh, like the plot. When I was watching this, I started thinking. I was like, "Man, this seems really familiar, like that video game." And so I went to go look up the plot of that game to remind myself what it was we were playing. And it's like, player wakes up in a bathroom stall, can't remember who he is. Turns out there's a dead man upstairs. And so he's trying to figure out why is he framed for murder? And I was like, wow, this is just <laughs> way too similar. Yeah. But uh, it is, it was interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, uh, there's, there's some definite uh, kind of tropey moments in, in this movie. Um, that, that being one of them, the, the man who wakes up and, and doesn't have any memories and, and is finding out that, you know, he's, He's wanted for some sort of serious crime and people are chasing him is is definitely one of them and probably the main story plot in this in this uh, story. But uh, the, the fact that he didn't do any crime and that it was all just implanted memories and these and these aliens are uh, basically, you know, playing a giant game of the Sims with <laughs> with, with all of these abductees. Uh, definitely adds a, a a new twist to an old tale. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does have a stacked cast of actors. Uh, this is fairly early in Kiefer Sutherland's career. Uh, this was about the same time that he was doing. Uh, well, it was shortly after Young Guns. Um, this was before he got really really popular with Twenty Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Hurt had been fairly well established and of course he's he's a phenomenal actor um rufus sewell i hadn't really seen him much around this time and really hadn't seen him after in fact the latest that i've seen him was uh as uh uh john what is it john smith in man in the high castle oh really okay yeah um yeah he plays uh, he plays a, a high-level Nazi officer in the alternate history series, um, and he does a really good job there. So I'm I'm kind of surprised that I don't remember him in, in much other because I think he's a good actor. I thought he did really well in this this movie. I mean, just playing an absolute have no idea what in the hell uh, what in the hell is going on because I have no memories of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought actually probably the weakest performance was Jennifer Connelly's. Yeah. Uh, she, I don't know if she was trying to look sultry or <laughs> she was just bored and tired, but yeah, a, a lot she, of, this may have been a movie she signed. She was obligated to do. Uh, <laughs> it might've been. And this was pretty, pretty early in her career and mm-hmm. she does much better work. I mean, uh, one of my favorite movies is Requiem for a dream and she's, she's great in that movie. So yeah, yeah, she is. Um, she's she's definitely a better actress than what she showed in this movie. Well, William Hurt plays, I think, the same character in every film you get from him. He's oh, yeah. Just that that quiet, doesn't say much, smart. 
it, it's it, when you saw when I saw him in this movie after having not seen this movie in a long time, it was like I was watching any other thing that I've seen him in. Oh yeah, so William Hurt's one of those actors where you don't cast for the role, you cast for the actor. He he plays yeah. William Hurt in every movie he's in. <laughs> he's he's like Jack Nicholson. Uh, who plays Jack Nicholson in every movie he's in. He's like Al mm-hmm. Pacino. Al Pacino plays Al Pacino in every movie he's in. So yeah. you're, you're casting him for his personality is, is basically what's, what's going on there. I went to a, uh, uh, to a Q&A at a film fest one time, and one of the directors was talking about, I can't remember what film he was talking about, but he was talking about a previous film he had done that William Hurt was in. And he started talking about how much of a prima donna William Hurt kind of is. Oh, really? And so he said there was a scene in the movie where he had William Hurt in a in a canoe in the middle of a lake. And he said, like, I mean, I just kind of left him out there a little longer than he should have been just because everybody got tired of working with him. I don't <laughs> I don't I guess it's kind of true because it's coming from a QA, but that's right. what oh, I heard that's from great. that director. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, if you if you look at uh, one of the earliest movies that I can remember of William Hurt being in was, um, oh, what was that one with? Uh, it was an ensemble cast. Had oh, the Big Easy was that it? Yeah, one where they're right. yeah 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 one where uh, no the no uh the Big Chill the Big Chill that's it yeah yeah the Big Chill, but yeah, I mean, he plays William Hurt. In that movie, it's it's right. pretty much the exact same actor. He's a little more subdued in this movie, maybe a mm-hmm. little more, a little older, a little wiser. But yeah, it's it's basically the same movie. He's just not, you know, drug addled or acting drug addled. Right. I thought Keith or Sutherland. Sutherland. Yeah. Let's. Just, I can't say Keith or Keith. Let me try that again. <laughs> Keith or Sutherland. Um, I thought he did pretty good. Um. He he played the he played the weird scientist kind of guy, the mad scientist, really well. Um, and of course, um, oh, I can't remember the actor's name who played Mister Hand. Um, oh, Richard O'Brien. Yes, Richard O'Brien, yes. of course, was was phenomenal. I mean, he was he was pretty much you know riffraff, just yep, who hadn't seen the sun and you know, a decade. So just creepier. If you can imagine. Oh creepier yeah. It, riffraff. Was, it was great. Especially there at the end when he's kind of coming out of the shadows. Yeah. Real, real desperate. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought the story was pretty tight. I didn't see a whole lot of, you know, plot holes. I thought there was some, you know, kind of Deus ex machina that happened with him. Uh, forming a door in a wall to get away. Um, you know, that, that mind power was awfully convenient when he needed it and, and didn't really seem to work very well whenever he really didn't need it to move the plot along or when he needed to be overpowered. So, yeah. So one of the things that I was kind of confused about was how he had memories of his childhood at Shell Beach when they hadn't actually implanted those memories in him. It was, he, yeah. they were, they were trying to implant those and he had defended himself with his, with his mind powers. And, uh, so it never did actually happen, but it, it showed him flashing with those, with those memories. So that was kind of a, that was kind of a plot hole. Yeah. Maybe he only got, maybe Kiefer only got, uh, a drop in or something like that. Yeah, maybe some, some residual maybe. But yeah, I, I, I agree. It started, uh, 
there was a little bit of a gap there. Uh, did you say anything else? The one thing I that I caught myself kind of rolling my eyes about was, uh, let's see, I think it gets said when Schreiber is visited by the strangers uh, when he's in the the pool, and they they said, you know, we have an aversion to, they don't call it water, but these kinds of places, it, it's it's aliens. Uh-huh. Don't like water, and right. that just gets used so many times in films with aliens. Really, that one was kind of that one was kind of eye rolling. But that that's really about it. That kind of bugged me about uh, about the the narrative and the story. I actually thought that was kind of refreshing because you always see aliens heading to Earth to steal its water. It's like aliens oh, yeah. need moisture, <laughs> so it was kind of refreshing to see an alien species that you know was afraid of the moisture. Well, no, 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 no. We need, we need like some Arizona climate here. Right. We need to dry out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of the, a lot of the initial, um, well, it actually, it did it throughout the film, but I really noticed it. You, you noticed it through all the action sequences, but at the very beginning, which by the way, like if I, I had paused the movie just right, right after I had started it, I, well, it felt like right after I had started it, um, Actually, it felt like I had been going through it quite a bit, and I paused it, and I looked at it, and it was only like 16 minutes into the film, but I felt like I had been watching it for a long time. Not a bad thing. It's just so much happens at the beginning. Yes, the pacing on this movie could have have been a little better. Um, There was so much that happened so fast in this movie that Mm -hmm. it did. It, It made you feel like you had been watching this movie for an hour, and it only been like maybe a half an hour to 45 minutes, and you're like, oh, my God. How yeah. long is this movie? And and yeah, there was so much happening. You can't jump into it uh, after a few minutes. That that's for sure. Oh no, you're you, totally you have to lost. Watch it from the beginning. Yeah, I mean from from start they are they are throwing <laughs> plot development at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and all of the all the action in the film, and then a lot of what they film at the very beginning are really quick. Uh, cut scenes. And I know what they're doing. They're trying to give a lot of action and excitement, especially during the, during the active scenes. But it's, it's like what you get, not so much to this degree, but in the movie um, Armageddon, where every <laughs> scene lasts like two seconds or every cut is like two seconds long. And they're constantly cutting back. They, they did that quite a bit in this film, which is, I mean, I guess you can use it to your advantage, but it felt a little over, overdone to some point. Yeah, I think if they had waited later in the film to do that, it would have been more advantageous. I think they kind of overloaded the audience just right from the start with that. And it and it actually tires you out before the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I felt myself going, oh, my gosh, I'm just I'm exhausted now watching this movie. And it's and it's only halfway through. So I, th- I think they I think they kind of overloaded the 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 audience um, up front and yeah the 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 pacing could have probably been flipped because it seemed to it seemed to slow down quite a bit towards the end um, up until the the final end scenes but yeah there were a lot of a lot of fast cuts right at the beginning there was a lot happening at the very beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this film looked absolutely beautiful. Um, they really captured the noir aspect and the, the, the gothic setting absolutely 
wonderfully. I thought the costuming was was spot on. It had somewhat of an anachronistic kind of feel to it. You weren't really quite sure if it was the 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s because they had kind of this blend of yeah. all four decades in it. Yeah, they did. Yeah, it was, it, I don't know if that was intentional to by the strangers to confuse the people who they have abducted, abducted or, or however they got them, uh, or if that was just intentional to span across multiple uh uh, periods of time, but it did. It did have a have a mixture of a little bit of juxtaposition there. Yeah, um, they they nailed the noir look. I mean, everything was oh, yeah. dark. Uh, they had Grimy. the neon that, that contrasted with that every once in a while, and really, mm-hmm. really shined a, a light on on uh, the aspects that they wanted you to view on the on the screen. Uh, in fact, I want to say the brightest scene in the movie was the automat. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, until you get to the very end with the with the revelation, it, it really is the brightest scene. Yeah, that scene all, for this time when I watched it reminded me so much of the scene from uh, Twelve Monkeys, where Bruce Willis is in his cell and he can hear a voice talking to him, but he can't picture who the person is. Yeah, I kind of got that vibe from the from the the. What did you say? It was a lunch lady that looked like a man. Yeah, <laughs> it was actually a man. So yeah, but um, yeah, you think cafeteria, you think lunch lady. So mm. um, yeah, yeah, you're right. It does kind of have that that disembodied voice aspect to it because you never really see his face. Uh, you just see him kind of throw the wallet in the uh, in the dispenser and and leave, but he's still talking the whole time. So yeah, um, a really creepy voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was there was a lot of of creepy things, like the the creepy the creepy squid type thing that kind of came out of that guy's skull um, oh, after yeah. it got snapped off. That was gross. So is that just the organism that that lives inside? Or like, are the are the strangers a host? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the that's the alien's true form. And uh, later on in the film, they said that they use the the corpses as you know their their bodies. So just why they look so dead, right? Yeah. Which, so the beginning of the film, um, you get a narration from Kiefer Kiefer Sutherland's character Schriever that basically says that this alien race is as old as time, and they're trying to. They're trying to keep their race from going extinct. There's something happening um, that's that's killing off their race, and so they're they're studying humans to figure out um, why. Or they're they're trying to find the human soul, and mm-hmm. they they think that this soul is going to keep their race from from going extinct. I really wish they had explained that a little better, especially in the end. Um, because you never get a real explanation as to what it is about their race that is is killing them off and why they think that the human soul is is going to save them. Yeah. Um, so you never get a real solid motivation as to why they've got this giant city in space and they're and they're doing these studies. Yeah, with the the narration, uh, I overall with narration, I'm not a huge fan of it in in films. Uh, I mean, there's a time and a place to use it. Uh, with this film, the, the studio made them go and add that narration at the very beginning. But honestly, I, I mean, now I don't. You don't need that uh, that narration at the beginning. I 
I kind of feel like audiences now are more film savvy than they than they used to be. And I guess maybe even in the early 2000s or what 1998 when this came out. Right. I think you could have figured it out because if the studio is going to make him go back and explain something, you would think they would do narration throughout. And instead, they just told him to do it at the told uh, the the director Alex uh, Proyas to do it at the very beginning, and that's it. I don't I don't think we get any more narration throughout the film, do we? Not really. You get kind of somewhat of a narration at the end whenever he implants the training memories. Um, yeah. But that's about it. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of a yeah, it's kind of a narrative scene as he's going through and, and training John on on how to use his mind powers. But that's really the only other narration. And I kind of understand why the studio wanted them to do that because I think if and the director's cut doesn't have the narration, but we watched the theatrical version, so mm-hmm. I think if you had jumped into this movie without that narration at the beginning. And as quick as this movie moves, yeah, I think you, that would have turned off people. Yeah, I think that would have turned off a lot of the audience because they would have no clue as to what was going on. They wouldn't have been primed for any of it. <laughs> right? Because you've got you've got this cityscape that's changing before their eyes. You've got all of these people that just you know slowly come to a stop and and pass out, and then you've got this guy that is in a bathtub and wakes up with absolutely no clue who he is or what he's doing. Um, and you're, you're, you're as lost as he is at this point. But I think, and, and that's a, that's a good narrative sometimes, but I think this movie moves too fast and he learns too much too fast to, that the audience would have trouble keeping up and they, they would have lost them. I can see why a director artistically would want to, not have the narration i i yeah i get that so from a studio standpoint um they probably thought hey we've got to we got to spoon feed these people as much as possible which they always do and they always have studios have always done that with with film right um and and directors always want to take it a different direction uh so what else did you think about the the set i know that they um i know that they use some of this set on the matrix after the fact. So when they, when they wrapped up shooting, uh, this film, they, they actually, uh, sent some of the, the rooftop scenes over to the matrix. Mm -hmm. Um, and the matrix has a, has a somewhat similar look to this film. So I think some of that and, and probably some of the concepts were also inspirational to the matrix. Yeah. I've got a feeling that, I, I don't think the primary story of the matrix was influenced uh, by this film. I got a feeling though, over the course of all three of those films, they probably I wouldn't say still, but they may have borrowed an idea or two. <laughs> I mean, like at the, I mean, the whole idea is, you know, Murdoch, the, 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 the he's the one, right. You know, or that he's the anomaly uh, of all of it. That part at the end though, where, um, um, uh, Ian Richardson's character, Mr. Book, the the, the leader, uh-huh. and um, Murdoch are fighting up in the air, dark dark sky. They're fighting back and forth. Was just so similar to mm-hmm. uh, was it Matrix Revolutions? Yeah, at the very end. So I don't know. It felt it didn't feel ripped off, but it felt very heavily borrowed. Over yeah, the course of that trilogy, and that ending scene. I wasn't I wasn't real fond of the of the final battle. 
Um, especially it was pretty weak them. for what they could do. Yeah, right? it really was. I mean, the the film had a great buildup, um, and it just seemed like, well, we need to wrap this up. Let's throw some action in here, and then call it a day. Yeah, it it, it seemed kind of half assed. So, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't really fond of of the of the final battle, the end. Although the the, the final ending, I uh, was satisfied when he. Uh, you know, rebuilt the city. He created Shell Beach and that pier where he got to meet Anna again. Then turned the city yeah. towards the sun. That was satisfying. That was it's um, cool. That was pretty and good. even the the meetup with uh, uh, Mr. Hand. Uh, Mr. Hand comes out of the uh, out of the alley, and uh, Murdoch's about to head in to head through the door to go to Shell Beach. Mm-hmm. And and they have that confrontation. I, I thought that was a good ad. I was when I was rewatching it, and I and I knew what he was going to tell him. I, I knew that I was going to tell him that if you're looking for the the human spirit, you know, it's not up in our, it's not up here. And he points to his brain. He says it's it's here, and he points to his heart. In my right. head, I remember him actually saying something as cheesy as it's in it's not in our brain, uh, brain, it's in our heart. And I was expecting something cheesy, but he never says that. He just says it's not up here. And then just kind of walks away. He doesn't point to his heart or anything. Right. I was like, okay, that uh, I remember it being a little cheesier than, it, but it wasn't. It was actually a good way, a little, kind of like less is more. Yeah. You know, we were talking about the the narration and stuff. I thought that was a good good touch, and I was happy to see that I remembered incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was a, a really good kind of bookend to the the movie. Um, the music I thought for the most part was really good in this movie. Um, yeah. it, it, it really set the mood pretty well. The only part I didn't like was the score during the final battle. It just, it <laughs> yeah. seemed to stick out like a sore thumb. I have no idea what they were thinking. Yeah. Do you know what that song's called? I actually went and, uh, and looked it up. Cause I thought the same thing. It wasn't, it wasn't awful, but it doesn't fit with the rest of the film. To yeah. Me. I, yeah. I would agree there. Yeah, it, I think it's, it's called something like, uh, I think it's something like you got the power or the the powers in you or something really <laughs> cheese ball. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was yeah. It just it did not flow with the rest of the the music in the movie. Um, everything else was either period appropriate, uh, like the the song that she sang uh, in the bar uh, mm-hmm. because Emma was a, a lounge singer. Or you know the score undertoned the the feel of the movie and it, and it enhanced the feel of the movie. It was it was dark and brooding. It got light in certain places, um, but for the most part, it was it was a very subtle undertone that enhanced the mood. And then they get to this final battle scene, and it's all you know drums and trumpets. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell is this? This doesn't fit at all. This is, I mean, it was jarring. It took yeah. me out of the mood and, and it ruined that, that final battle. Yeah. It, which makes it so less more sad. Like if you're going to put a song like that to the, to the end and you've got a couple of guys who can battle it out with their minds, don't make the guy die because he got stabbed, you know, like <laughs> let's, <laughs> Let's finish this thing. <laughs> right. Yeah, he got he got stabbed and then thrown into this this giant water tower, which, which was moisture. I guess they pressure yeah, I guess they pressurize their water towers in this in this land because yeah. that thing exploded. Yeah, it just blew up. Yeah. Um and then he like vaporized into cinder. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it was Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it was so over so quick. Um, I mean, the battle that they had down inside the bowels of the ship looked better than whenever they floated up into the sky and, and that was yeah. the final scene. Um, yeah, I really wish they'd kept it in the bowels of the ship. I don't think they needed to show them, you know, flying up into the sky and doing all that stupid stuff. Yeah. And and we're, I feel like we keep knocking it, but it's actually a pretty darn good movie. I yeah. Mean, it's, it, 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 it's really entertaining and fulfilling at the end, and it's got a good, orig, somewhat original story, but it's some of the things that do stick out do stick out. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a really good movie. It is a really good story. Um, all the issues that we've pointed out aside, it gets you it gets you hooked fast, and it keeps you wanting more. You're you're mm-hmm. learning new things every part of this movie. Uh, it you know solves one riddle, but then presents you with another or another two, and so you're always riveted. You're always keeping up. It is a little exhausting, a little bit, but I mean that's that's probably a good thing. I mean, you're, you're really engaged with this movie. So, Mm -hmm. and it looks incredible The the acting was top notch. Uh, yeah. I mean, for, for the flaws that we pointed out, uh, the movie is, is definitely worth a watch. And special effects were pretty decent for, especially for the first part of 1998. Oh yeah. They did a a good job, which that that's gotta be said in itself. This poor movie was released like, I see February of 98, which is only two months after Titanic gets released. Oh, I know. So this movie just, man, it didn't, it didn't catch a break there. Yeah, it didn't. And it barely made back its production budget. So it wasn't a financial success by any measure. Yeah. I mean, it, it just didn't catch a break. I think if they had released it later in the year, um, of course, I'm trying to remember, let me do a little research on the fly. What okay. movies they released? the summer of 98 because it well, might Titanic have was still in the theater remember it oh, stayed yeah. in the theater for like 40 something weeks yeah it was uh so yeah, every movie at the first part of 98 got to got to go against the giant yeah it was um let's see what we've got here so deep impact it could have beaten deep impact yeah um Godzilla could have beaten Godzilla uh, the Truman Show. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. The Truman Show is pretty good. X-Files the movie. It's a better movie than X-Files the movie, but that's got just a huge fan following. Uh, Mulan. Ooh. Yeah, tail end of Disney's yeah. animation. Dr. Doolittle could have beaten Dr. Doolittle. Armageddon came out that year. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Lethal Weapon 4 came out that year. Small Soldiers, uh, The Mask of Zorro. <laughs> There's something about Mary. Oh man! Oh, Saving Private Ryan. It would have. It would. Yeah, this probably wasn't a good summer for it to release, unless it released early, like late spring, early summer. Because well, if you're Shakespeare in love, you shouldn't fear Saving Private Ryan. Oh really? Yeah. Well, that's what beat it in the Oscars that year. Oh. I didn't. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, just Blade came out that year. Yeah, that's a good stretch. Yeah, there were there were some good tentpole movies that came out that summer. So I think if it would if it had come out, let's see, June. When was the first one? 
Deep Impact released May 8th. So I think if it came out probably late April, early May, it could have done probably better. It would have been uh, Titanic would have cooled off a little bit at that point, mm -hmm. and it probably would have commanded more of the box office. So I think we can jump into awards. You have any awards to give out? So I, I was thinking about this as I was watching the film. This could you could easily do a what do they call that a tiger sweep in golf where you get all four of the majors? Oh yeah, you yeah. could you could do a John Murdoch sweep. You definitely of the could. awards if if you wanted to. So I tried to break it up a little bit. The only one I'm struggling with was was head lush because I can't remember anybody drinking. But I'll get there in a minute. For Black Lung, I'm just going to go with the easy pick. Murdoch, because the guy's smoking throughout the film. <laughs> he is, and, yeah, and he earned it. He's he's entitled to smoke throughout that film. Oh yeah, he has absolutely no no idea what's going on. Um, I would be smoking like a train as well. So. <laughs> um, I actually went a little bit different uh, with my Black Lung Award. I gave it to Mister Book for the end scene when he, uh, you know, turned to cinder. Uh, right. And it just he, he literally away. turned into a black lung. So <laughs> right, he <did. laughs> he's getting my black lung. So for my head lush, you're right. I didn't catch anybody really drinking except for the first lounge scene with Jennifer Connelly. Uh, when it when the camera's looking over her shoulder, if you look on the left, the people at the front table on her left have emptied a bottle of liquor. So okay. those people are getting my uh, Head Lush Award because you go to a lounge, you empty a bottle of liquor, you're getting a Head Lush Award. Yeah, and and still sitting there at the table right. uh, being being a good citizen. Right. That's pretty impressive. I'll second that one. <laughs> Who's got yours? Uh, I, I'm, I'm going with that one, too. Okay. I couldn't find anybody. I mean, you just said the guy in the back corner. With, it, I couldn't find anybody drinking in this film. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to second you on that one. Or you could go with our honorary head lush, which is Richard Dawson. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, Who's got your player? So, again, really easy to give it to Murdoch because um, because of his association with the prostitutes. But I'm actually going to give it to the prostitute that picks up Murdoch mm -hmm. in the in the diner scene. I'm going to say she's the player because uh, she goes and solicits him. That's right. She does. She actually saves his bacon and mm -hmm. uh, brings him home. And he, yeah, he, he runs away. So And saves him from bacon, right. no pun intended. <laughs> um, so that's a good one. I like that one. Uh, I actually went for the easy one. I went for Murdoch, but not for the the prostitutes. I went for Murdoch for courting both, uh, well, Jennifer Connelly and both Emma and Anna incarnations. In fact, that's right. Yeah. He built, you know, Shell Beach and a specific pier, and met her there, and 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 turned on the charm, and yeah, uh, yeah. There's no way she's turning that down. Right. <laughs> Uh, so for my purple hippo, uh, Murdoch's getting this one as well because the entire movie for this guy was a surreal experience. I mean, he wakes up in a bathtub uh, with absolutely no idea who he is, what he's doing, where he's at, um, and is is chasing clues the entire movie. Has no idea what's going on. Finds that these this alien race is. Uh, experimenting on a bunch of people. He finds out he's floating in space. It's, yeah, this this is a purple hippo 
of life. Yeah. The movie's a purple hippo. Exactly. So I wanted to give it to Murdoch too. And I thought before I, I started the film, that's, that's the one I'm going to end up with. But I, I decided I was going to give it to Mr. Hand because he ends up uh, when they're searching for Murdoch and he, he's trying to locate where he's at in the city. Mm-hmm. They decide to take Murdoch's memories and imprint them into Mr. Hand. And that just jacks him up for the whole film. He's, oh, yeah. it, they, they even acknowledge that this has never worked before. We've always died when we've done this, but he's like, nope, bring it on. And so they, they imprint Murdoch's memories into Mr. Hand and yeah, he's never this. He he gets more creepy after that, and oh, then yeah. just starts going off the edge. So I'm gonna give it to Mr. Hand. And for that's that one. yeah, that's an excellent one. He was my alternate um, for the exact same reason because when they imprint him, um, the memories that they imprint him with are the memories that they were gonna give to Murdoch, which was yeah. the memories a of serial a serial killer. killer. Yeah. And so Mr. Hand turns into the serial killer that Murdoch was supposed to be. Um, yeah, and it made him super, super creepy, and um, yeah, it was the, uh, the 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 actor Richard O'Brien uh, who who portrayed him just did a, a bang up job, knocked it out of the park of of portraying that. So um, that's that's a great purple hippo. All right, uh, final thoughts. Anything uh, anything else you want to say about the movie? No, I really liked it when I saw it in uh, in '98. I have seen it a handful of times over the past 20 years. Uh, getting to go back and revisit it was fun. Uh, I still like it. Uh, there's very little uh, that I could critique it on, and probably because it's got a little bit of uh, of nostalgia for me. But uh, oh, it was fun to watch again, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was good to look at it in this light too. Yeah, it was really fun. In fact, it wasn't even on the list until uh, you said that this is the movie that you wanted to do after we asked you to be on the show. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really glad that that this is the one that you picked because we would have missed an excellent movie. Um, I'm sure there's tons of movies on that aren't on the list that we should probably have on there. But so, yes, thank you very much for for being on the show, um, having me watch this this wonderful movie. Uh Again, where can we find uh, the film appraisers? Yeah, so the easiest way to find us is irglumedia.com slash the film appraisers. Uh, on Twitter, we're at F appraisers. Uh, Instagram is at film appraisers. And then you can just email us uh, through film appraisers at gmail.com. All right. Well, thank you very much, Josh, for being on. Uh, it was It was a great honor to have you on here. No, thank you. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the show. I'm getting to go back now and, and explore the back catalog more uh, now that I've got a little bit of free time. I say that and something's <laughs> going to happen now. But no, I'm, I'm a big fan of the show, so I was really excited to be able to, to get to be on here. And any chance to get to watch sci-fi film, I'm going to take it. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Our intro and outro music is Welcome Home by Cambo. Our pod crawl music is Snack Mix by Machette. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. You can leave us feedback on our Discord channel at eargluemedia.com slash Discord, on Twitter at status underscore podcast, or email us at smokinganddrinkinginspace at outlook.com. Please be sure to check out all the other excellent podcasts at eargluemedia.com. As always, uh, the poorly thought out and sometimes questionable opinions expressed on this show are ours and might not be reflected or shared by Eargloo Media or anyone else for that matter. I'm Jason. I'm Josh. And we'll talk to you next week.